We have State of the Division for the NL East on a Thursday. Today, I'm joined by Jack McMullen. I'm your host, Ryan Finkelstein, uh, managing editor over at Just Baseball. Jack does editing for us as well. You see him on various uh, Just Baseball shows like the Just Baseball show, the call-up, and more. Excited to bring you on for the NL East today. What are you seeing right now in this division? As a Mets fan, should I be scared right now? Should I be concerned about the Braves and the Phillies? Uh, what I'm seeing is Atlanta's eight and two over their last 10 and they're still seven games back. Uh, that's what happens when the rest of the division sucks for the first two months of the season. So um, I, I think the Mets are in a pretty comfortable spot right now. I was also reading that Scherzer and DeGrom look like they may be back at the beginning of July. So I wouldn't have your heart rate get north of 90 at a resting rate. Um, I think if you're in the in the 70 to 85 range, you should be good. But if you're 90 or above, I'm going to tell you to calm down. That's what I've been trying to tell my listeners. Uh, you look at last year, and I think a lot of Mets fans are concerned about this team based on the collapse from last season. The Mets held first place for 90 days last year. Their largest division lead during that span was five and a half games. Like you just said, it, it took the Braves and the Phillies to win seven and six games in a row to get within seven and 10 games of the Mets, respectively. There's no reason to, to hit the panic button yet. The Mets just avoided uh, injuries with Pete Alonso and Stalin Marte. Then I would have been concerned. If you told me that Pete Alonso was out for two months with a broken hand, then we could have you know, seen some panic bells going off. But I look at where the Mets are. They've done a great job kind of uh, you know, ma maintaining a, a solid record without Scherzer. Tyler McGill comes back this weekend. Uh, DeGrom, I think maybe beginning of July, Scherzer, like you said, could be back as well. So once they get their pitching back, that the Mets team will, will kind of get back on and, and continue to roll. And I also think that the Phillies, uh, I'm not buying for one second. No, me neither. You brought the right guy on for this week, huh? Um, <laughs> what I will say is the Mets only kind of meted so far. Um, when you've got the injuries coming in with Francisco Lindor slamming his finger in a hotel door uh, <laughs> and Max Mets, Scherzer. Man. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and Max Scherzer getting bit on his pitching hand by his dog. Uh, that is very Mets. What would be super Mets is if Lindor was out a month and Scherzer was done for the year. Good news is Scherzer had to stop his throwing program for one day. Uh, and Lindor was only out for a couple of days. So I, I think we're good. Yeah, and Scherzer was very quick to be like, this is a stupid story. Like, he he, yeah. he pretty much straight up said, like, there's a non-story here. Like, I was throwing literally the next day. Max, you I, haven't been here long enough. New York yeah. media will make this the worst thing ever. <laughs> 100%. 100 I do want to focus on the Braves and the Phillies uh, for the show today because they are the teams that are surging. And I think the Braves are – at least a legit contender. I look at the Braves, and as we said, coming into the year, it was kind of supposed to be a two-team division with these teams at the top, and then the Phillies and the Marlins maybe having a puncher's chance. The one thing that I think is the biggest difference, aside from a light schedule over the past week and change here for the Braves, is they were getting zero production from their outfield early in the season. Now you have Ronald Acuna back playing at an MVP-type level. Actually, Quick side note on that. I threw a flyer on Acuna last night at plus 3,000 odds for the MVP. Whoa. I'm just – look at what he's done in 27 games. If Acuna steals 45 bases, somehow hits 30 bombs, and missed the first month of the season, are we not sure that he might – let's just say the Braves end up somehow stealing this division from the Mets. It's not out of the realm of possibility 
that Acuna wins an MVP. Yeah. So another another thing to kind of bolster his candidacy there and bolster your point is um, MVP stands for most valuable player. The Heisman Trophy goes to the most outstanding player in college yeah. football. The MVP goes to the most valuable player. If Acuna was out and the Braves were under 500 and Acuna puts together a 35-35 season like you think he could and the Braves sneak into the postseason, that proves that he is maybe the most valuable player in all of baseball. Bryce Harper last year, he didn't have the best OPS in the game, I don't think, but he was the most valuable player in the National League because if Bryce Harper wasn't doing what he was, Philly is nowhere close to the contending window that they were in last year. So I'm with you, man. If, If there's a direct correlation between Acuna's production and Atlanta's success record-wise, I think that only helps your case. Yeah, I, I'm not saying that he has the, the best odds to do it. Like, my money is still on a Goldschmidt or a Machado. But at the same time, if we're talking about a dark horse with long odds, like, that's the, the guy to bet on right now. Yeah, nice payday there. Um, Atlanta's schedule, like you mentioned, very, very nice. Uh, Pre-Girardi firing, uh, they took two of four from the Phillies. Then they go to Atlanta. They took two or three. They actually lost the series in Arizona, but then uh, they swept Colorado at Coors Field. They just swept a two-game set uh, at home against Oakland. Now they welcome in Pittsburgh. Then they go to Washington and the Cubs. Yeah, they're going to get fat right now, and they should. But I, I, I will say, though, to get back to the outfield, I think that having Acuna and also um, you know, Michael Harris, you, you on the prospect side, what have you seen from him? As he adjusts, I think that the most obvious thing to me is as, as great as Adam Duvall can be in the outfield, they got a legit center fielder out there now. They have a legit center fielder. And, and you look at another team in the NL East, like Roman Quinn, what he was supplying defensively is, is what you're getting and maybe a little bit more from Michael Harris. And by the way, Michael Harris is eons better of a bat than Roman Quinn was for the Phillies. So Harris, I, I think everybody's seen it at the big league level already. He's one of the better defensive center fielders in the game already his um, cannon dude you see dude. that throw where he backed up Acuna and he hit third base on a fly he's that incredible was insane. he's incredible Harris he's got a hose he covers so much ground out there and and this is going to be one of those guys where you know you see the outdated memes right where two-thirds of planet earth is covered in water the other third is covered by Michael Harris um it was like Ben Revere I remember hearing that with Ben Revere all the time but yeah. Harris is a really good defensive center fielder um, and, and this is a guy that next year could flirt with 300 in the batting average department. I, I think they have their center fielder there, and I'm very happy that they decided to bypass AAA with him and just said, you know what, we're reeling a little bit. Let's get him up. The best center field option on the market right now is on our AA team. Yeah, I think you have to do that. I, I, honestly, I, when I when they first promoted him, I, I looked at it as a little bit of a – I don't want to, I guess a panic move sounds uh, too harsh when we're talking about a promotion in, in May, but I did think it was a sense of urgency move that, all right, you know, the Mets are kind of running away with this division. Let's add a spark here. And I think it's worked for them. I mean, obviously you've seen what they've done recently, but having some actual production out there, because we always knew that they're infield with Albies, with Olsen, with Riley, um, with Swanson, like the infield was going to be okay. They're getting great production from their catchers. Now they're getting it from their outfield. I think that because the Mets were able to build that cushion, they might still be able to, to kind of win this division wire to wire. But I think that the Braves are going to be right there with them the whole way. And these are two teams that are going to make the playoffs. 
They're the defending world champs. If you were counting Atlanta out six weeks into the season, you were just wrong about the Atlanta Braves because we saw what they did last year. I mean, they were out of the contending window at the all-star break. And then all of a sudden they trade for four outfielders and they win the freaking world series. We know what the Braves can do when their backs are against the wall. And the thing about this year as opposed to last year is their backs were against the wall earlier and they are bouncing back and catapulting them into a position to pounce a little bit earlier in the year than they did last year. Yeah. And and for the Phillies, it's the exact same thing. (laughs) (laughs) Don't say that. (laughs) Oh, the Phillies. I I, look, they've done a great job and uh, they've won some games, but I, I I do not buy that a change in manager, like, like the the Philly fan out there that's listening to this, that thinks that Joe Girardi was the sole problem. (laughs) I'm sorry. It's not the case. That defense is still bad. Um, I still don't trust that bullpen. Uh, is there something that they've done over the past week that you think is sustainable that, that a change that could at least make them a wild card contender this year? Yeah. Um, as long as they can play the LA angels right now, that's great for them. So I, I think just get the angels on the schedule for every game for the rest of the year and you should be good. Uh, especially when when they try walking up to Nickelback songs. You see that last night? All the Angels walked up to different Nickelback songs. I mean, talk about a team that's pressing right there. They're looking for anything. They thought that, and they they didn't score a run, right? Uh, I don't think they scored a run. I haven't checked the scoreboard, actually. I went to bed about midway through. I'm pretty sure it was 1-0 Red Sox over the Angels yesterday. Uh, It was (laughs) 1-0. So that Nickelback didn't work for them. The, the the one player I think we should talk about on the Philly side is Bryson Stott. It seems yeah. like he's starting to figure things out. Uh, I, I think that he could be huge for them, particularly defensively compared to what they've had out there. But they don't have defense out there. Yeah. And Stott is a very slick defensive shortstop. He's the best shortstop option they have on the roster. Um, he's probably the best defender that they have on the roster. Um, I, I think Stott, you know, obviously you look at, the slash line you look at the lack of offensive production when he first came up um you know this is the type of guy that was gonna need a little bit to get acclimated to the major league level as you saw with bobby witt as you saw with spencer torkelson as you saw with julio rodriguez a little bit and i'm not saying that stott has the talent level of those guys but stott didn't have that game where it was hit the ground running and immediately translates like michael harris or like I'm sure Aram has talked about with you, Alec Thomas uh, in Arizona. Yeah. I mean, like that's the type of guy that was hitting 280 at the AAA level. He can come up and he can hit 280 at the major league level. That's not Stott. Stott is the guy that can play big league defense and really good big league defense. Uh, and he will come into his own offensively. But you're getting a glove first and a really good glove at shortstop. And, and if I'm the Phillies, I want defense over anything right now. They should go defense first on shortstop and center field. And yes. they got enough boppers around those guys with Harper, Castellanos, and Schwarber. You got to try to mask some of those deficiencies. Uh, moving over to the Marlins. I have not rooted for the Marlins as hard as I did last night since 2003 when I didn't realize that the Marlins and the Mets were in the same division and I was like an eight-year-old going to playoff games. Yeah. I, I hate seeing a pitcher throw a complete game shutout and it goes to extras because his team can't score for him. The Jacob DeGrom effect, just agonizing to watch. But Alcantara, this week, uh, you know, recent article you can check out at JustBaseball.com, 
I wrote about the uh, AL and NL Cy Young favorites right now. And I had Alcantara number one. Uh, Pablo Lopez is still in the mix, but Alcantara is clearly establishing that he is the you know, dead set ace of that Marlins team. And what he's done so far this year is insane. Particularly, I think his last like six starts, he's gone like seven or more every single time. It's crazy. How about, how about inning totals since May 11th? Seven innings, eight innings, nine innings, eight innings, seven innings, nine innings. In that stretch, um, that is a one, two, three, four, five, six start stretch. He has allowed three earned runs and he I, has walked uh, was, five, six, eight guys. I was going to say, I do know from the article that before that start yesterday, his ERA since that stretch you outlined was 0.69. Uh, you add nine scoreless innings to that. So it's probably under half of a run. Insane. He went into that start on May 11th with a 303 ERA. It's down to 161 right now. Sandy is, I mean, he's blowing everybody out of the water in terms of innings pitched right now. Let me just pull up the league leaders here. Um, in terms of innings pitched, Sandy Alcantara is one at 83 and two thirds. Aaron Nola is nine innings behind him. Wow. At this point, you shouldn't be nine innings in front of anybody, but that's what Sandy is because he is a walking quality start and then an inning or two more right now. Um, what I find so interesting with him is he was leading all of qualified starters and walks at one point with 19 walks since then. I mean, what he threw 30 strikes in his first 33 pitches yesterday in his start. Yeah. yeah I think he only had like going into the ninth, they might've had like 19 balls and, and like 95 pitches or something insane. It's, it's crazy. And I think when you have, when you can dot that hundred mile per hour sink sinker, wherever you want at the bottom of the zone for a strike or just below the zone to get people to swing through it. It's so tough for, for batters to pick up on that. And, and the guy is such a bulldog. That quote that he had when they asked him, how deep would you like to go? He said 130 to 150 pitches. Like that's, that's crazy. That's an old school throwback type horse. And uh, the Marlins, I mean, if you can just get a little bit of offense going, you should be winning every fifth day. Well, he's getting screwed like old school guys. He's getting screwed like Harvey Haddix and Pedro Martinez, where they're just carrying complete or perfect games and no hitters into extra innings. Um, Yeah. You mentioned Sandy with, with nine innings yesterday. 105 pitches through nine innings. Pitch economy was wonderful because he threw 84 strikes and 105 pitches. That's an 80% strike clip. That's incredible for a guy that was leading Major League Baseball in walks a month into the year. It's crazy. And if you look at the breakdown of that, the last three innings, I wouldn't, I would be surprised if he threw like more than 40 pitches. I mean, he was, it was like 10 pitches. He wanted the 10th too. He was hiding from Don Manley when he came back. He wanted the 10th inning. Dude. And I think he could have gotten it. If they threw him back out there, he could have gotten it. God, that's a dog, man. I mean, he is, he's probably my favorite pitcher to watch right now. Going into the year, I was yeah. like, Walker Bueller. Bueller's my guy. Bueller's the one that I got to be watching all the time because he, he's a horse. Bueller struggled a little bit this year. Sandy has taken that horse thing and ran with it and won like a billion Kentucky Derbies. Yeah, he's, in my opinion, he's right now the, the head-on favorite for, for the Cy Young, and he should be starting the All-Star game too. Uh, he, he's the best thing to watch with the Bronze right now. But I do wonder uh, if uh, that players-only meeting was enough for them to get back on track. I, I, or whatever, I guess it was a, it was a full team meeting. that I it was players-only too? I don't know. Don Manley left the meeting, and I think he said, I think, the, I think we're going to be flat today after the meeting. 
which and <laughs> that's not how faced, those are supposed to work. Yeah. Luckily they faced Jonah Don and they were able to score like 12 runs on him. But uh, yeah, I, I, I think the Marlins uh, are still going to be in a rebuilding year here, but what they're rebuilding around is pretty great when it comes to the pitching. So yeah, hundred um, percent. And then my one thought on Jonah Don, uh, he was just optioned uh, earlier this week. So um, that nightmare for the Nats is over, it looks like. And it looks like uh, betting the over in games that Joanna Doan starts is on a hold for the meantime. Well, don't you feel bad for a guy like that? Because now this dude's career could be completely screwed up because he was just tasked with being on the big league roster because there was just no pitching for, for Washington. I, he hadn't even gone much in the upper levels in the minor leagues, if I'm not mistaken. And they just they just threw him into the fire, and obviously he he wasn't ready for it. He um he's 23 years old. He started 17 games at High A last year. Um, he started three games in Double A and one in Triple A, and then here he is now in Major League Baseball getting wrecked. So I I hope that Joanna Doan's okay. The good news there is that my guy Eddie Adrianza was the one that was activated off the injured list. Um that the corresponding move was a going down. So Adrianza, he's here. The Nats are going to put up 20 runs every game for the rest of the year because Adrianza is that stalwart in the middle of the lineup that they were so direly missing, uh, and they should be good. Yeah, they're going to be a, a dark horse now to just the one promotion. <laughs> I think uh, so. <laughs> I, I think, uh, you know, usually we just have a, a passing mention of the Nationals, uh, and I think that that almost covers it. <laughs> I will, I will ask, uh, you know, we're going to be going through the, the NL and the AL all-stars going to drop on Friday at just baseball. And I am leaning towards putting Juan Soto as an all-star. Uh, what's the case to leave him off the all-star team this year? Um, I don't know because like bad team would be one, but every team gets one in major league baseball. So Juan Soto should be the guy there. Uh, you look at the slash line, he's slashing 225, not good. Crazy. 373, really good. 456, pretty solid. So even though he's not getting base hits, uh, he's still got an 829 OPS, and he's leading all of Major League Baseball in walks drawn. So it's not his fault that nobody's pitching to him. Yeah. And the balls that he is putting in play, they're, they're off the corners because he would get bored walking 100 times in 57 games. So, um he still has 12 tanks too. I, I, he still has 12 bombs and he's five for six on the bags. Yeah. It's, it's tough. It's tough. Um, you mentioned that, that the NL outfield is pretty thin. It's Mookie Betts. And then who is it? I don't know. I'm, I'm going to have to read your, um, I'm going to have to read your, uh, what description on just baseball.com to, to see if I'm validated or not. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll try to make the argument for people. You can check that out. Uh, that will be uh, this uh, state of the division tomorrow. You got NL Central, so make sure you tune into that. Um, and we'll be back next week for more NLEs talk on Thursday.